The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology, in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. So turn now in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 127. Psalm 127 will be our, uh, uh, our mess from where our message is from this morning. If I can speak, I'm excited and got many things on my mind, but Psalm 127. How about I read it right away for us today? Can I read it as you're turning there? If you don't know where Psalm is, the Psalms are right in the middle of your Bible. Just kind of crack it open halfway and you'll find the 127th chapter there. But I want to read it for us right away as we begin. Follow along here, listen as I read. It says this, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word for God's people. You know, years ago, I developed the personal practice of taking time at the end of the year, beginning of a new year, sometime in there, of uh, getting away and meeting with the Lord to reflect on what I'd learned what God had done in my life and around my life in that past year, and then also to uh, look ahead to the year before me. Looking, yes, at my calendar, at some of the big events and different things, uh, looking at my own heart and seeing the ways that God had grown and matured me in ways that I want to grow uh, in the coming year. And in so doing, it has really helped to cultivate a heart of gratitude in my own life and also a heart of, of, uh, of hope as I look forward uh, to what God has in store for me. And as I've planted and been a pastor, I have also taken that time to uh, do the same thing with redemption. As just as I get away, as I uh, connect with the Lord, abide with him to look back on the past year, the calendar year and just say, look what God has done to remind myself of the faithfulness of God at every step of the way and that allow that then to fuel the days ahead. And so uh, as I seek the Lord, I search to, for a scripture also in that for uh, one just to meditate on, one in my own life to go deeper, one to continually come back to as, a, uh, as just a, a means to think deeply upon in a, in a sustained way over the course of a year. Last year, 2018, was our theme for our one-year anniversary. Last year, Psalm 52, in verse 8, it said, I will thank you forever, for you have done it. And he has, hasn't he? He's done it, and we've seen that recounted many, many times this morning. And so this year, now we're already into October, and so I have 10 months ahead of you, but this is the theme for our ministry year and my personal life, but this year it is Psalm 127, what I've just read for you, but specifically these three words, unless the Lord. 
unless the Lord, and I've thought long and deep on this, I've come back to it often, and uh, this may surprise you, but I've even tried my hand at writing a song with these lyrics. (laughs) That's right. Unfortunately, nothing has uh, come, but uh, this has been one of the things that I've been trying to do, uh, actually in 2019, is to uh, develop the skill of saying true things beautifully. And so, not, not just as a, as a preacher, but as a writer, as a communicator, as somebody who is, has been entrusted with communicating the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to be able to say that beautifully. And so, in poetry and song and all that, and, and uh, it just hadn't, hasn't worked out. I've been trying to, I probably need to get away to the wilderness for, in order for that to happen. But one of the questions that I've asked repeatedly is what does an unless-the-Lord life look like? What does an unless-the-Lord life look like? And I've come to these conclusions. I've come to these conclusions that the the unless-the-Lord life is first a confession of dependence. You've heard me say this, and uh, I even heard Cade echo it in his prayer this morning. Um, apparently, I've influenced his thinking, but uh, it's, it's that type of life that the Lord must come through or we're through. It's a confession of dependence, but it's also a confession of confidence. It is, it is the attitude as a believer is that God will come through on his promises, so I will too. He will come through, and so I will too. And so, unless the Lord then is really a motto of the Christian life. It is the, it, it is the motto of our faith, because our faith, what is it? It depends on Christ. It depends on his work, not on our work. We, beloved, are dependent on the work of Christ on the cross to save us, and we are dependent upon him and the Spirit for our very lives today and every day. Unless the Lord is our motto, it is the statement upon which our salvation rests. That unless the Lord had saved me, unless Christ had not died on the cross and rose again and reigns now forever, and paid the penalty that I was supposed to pay, we would never be saved. This is the gospel. It's the good news. And our hope would be today that if you are with us and you don't know Christ, that today would be one of God's means to spur you in that. That as you hear the word proclaimed, as you hear about sin and Christ, that this would lead you to ask questions. It would lead you to place your faith in Christ even today. This is the unless the Lord life. Our faith rests upon it. Our salvation rests upon it. Our church exists on this statement. Our families are created on this statement. And this is something that Solomon understood. Everyone know who Solomon is? Guy in the Old Testament, he's called the wisest person to ever live. The wisest man, the most wealthy man to ever live. And he understood the life exists on these words, unless the Lord, and so he wrote these five verses to communicate that to us, and he really uses the picture of a house, as you see, a house to illumine the truth for us. And what's interesting in these five verses is he uses two senses of a house to bring this together. 
Because as we think about, like, when we say a house, what are we, uh, we can be referring really to two different things, the building and then the people or the family that make it up, right? If I talk about the Cushman family, I could be referring to the bricks and sticks that make up 2127 Belvedere Court, or I could be referring also to the people, me and Aaron and our children that make up the Cushman house. And so anyone who's gone through the work of building a house or being part of a family knows the confident dependence that is required. That unless the Lord mentality. And we see that in our text today. We see that here in Psalm 127, that confident dependence on the Lord inspires us in four complementary ways. If you're taking notes, that's it. Confident dependence on the Lord inspires us. And you may be thinking to yourself, confident dependence. Those are almost two contradictory words, and yet I think we'll see as we get into the psalm here, I think we'll see that they are not contradictory, rather they are complementary. Got that? That was kind of hard, but not, they don't contradict one another, they rather complement one another. And we walk in confident dependence. This is our Christian life. And these, this confident dependence then inspires us. It motivates us. It, it propels us to live a certain way. So first here, it inspires us to both work hard and rest hard in verses one and two. To work hard and rest hard. Home building isn't a one-man job, is it? Nor is home security. God builds, we labor. God swings the hammer and we fetch the nails. To depend upon God to build the house gives us the confidence which to work hard. To depend upon God to protect the house gives us also the confidence to stay alert. And we see here in these first couple verses that hard work is both active and alert. This unless the Lord uh, mentality is active and alert, not lazy and asleep. And because God is doing the building, we want to be a part of it. And church, I just want to encourage you, you've shown an eagerness to give and to work all along the way. We've seen that here in the, in the video, right? As we have labored with the Lord, as he has gone before us, the proof is right there. And we are ultimately, are we not proceeding ahead confident in the same way that Jesus is building his church? Are we confident? Are we dependent upon the Lord in the, in the days ahead? You bet, and he's using us to do it. See, it's a confidence in the Lord. It's a dependence on the Lord that also protects us from foolish decisions. This is why we are alert. This is why we ask wide, uh, wise questions. This is why we avoid irresponsible risk. But we proceed with confident dependence, knowing that unless the Lord builds the house, any work that we do would be what? In vain. It would just be a project that we, that we work on with no eternal value. But because the Lord is in it, it now all of a sudden has even eternal value. We watch over the house. We stay alert in the same way that God is uh, watching over it. We watch over our house. We watch over things because God is for us. Did you know that in many developing countries, they still have night watchmen? I was just in Haiti, as most of you know, um, back in August, and they still have night watchmen everywhere. At the, not just at businesses, but the church does, and even, uh, even most people in their homes have a night watchman, many of them armed. 
with these like rusted shotguns, there's you know 50-50 chance that they're loaded, that the person knows how to operate uh, the firearm, and uh, if they do, if that the action on most of them look pretty rusted shut, so who's to say if they actually work? But they have night watchmen. Now, guys, is God watching over our brothers and sisters in Haiti? You better believe he is. You better believe he is. He is watching over them, and they stay awake. They watch because God is at work, and he is among them, and there those watchmen are watching over the work of the Lord. But see, when we really get this concept, when we understand this confident dependence, it keeps us from weaving off course from taking too much responsibility and working ourselves to death or uh, forsaking all responsibility and not doing anything. So we work hard all day and then we can sleep soundly at night. Don't you love how verse two uh, is the perfect complement to the hard work that we are about, the active, alert, hard work? He says in verse two that he gives to his beloved sleep. See, sleep is a gift from God. Who had a good night's sleep last night? Anybody? A few of you? Yeah, good. And he gives it to us because he loves us. He is the one who is watching over it. He gives this to his beloved and he himself stays awake at night. And we can go to sleep in confident dependence, not anxious, not worrying about the things that we did or did not accomplish that day or the things that we have to do in the day uh, that is coming. We can sleep in confident dependence. Remember that story back in Mark 4 where Jesus says, hey, we get, get on a boat, we've got an appointment across the Sea of Galilee and they get on it and what comes up around them? A big storm. It's a massive storm and they're rowing away for their lives in the boat. Is Jesus at the oar rowing with him? Where is he? He's asleep up front. Remember how mad they get because they're anxious, they're stressed out about the the storm around them? But Jesus knew the confident dependence upon the Lord. He's the one that led them into it. He's the one that is leading them through it. And he is the one that will lead them out of it. He was asleep and teaching us a great lesson even in that of what it means to be confidently dependent upon the Lord in all things. Working hard then and sleeping hard go together in complementary ways. You know how they actually, you know what it's kind of like? We're a river city, aren't we, in in, uh, New Braunfels? Y'all know what this is? It's a paddle, right? It's a kayak paddle. Anybody like to kayak in here? Y'all do? That's right. (laughs) Some of you love this. I love to be on the water kayaking. Wish I could spend more time. Maybe as much time as I like spending in a a bike seat, but um, I like to kayak. And working hard, resting hard, our confident dependence goes uh, together very much like paddle strokes. In order to stay the course when you're on the river, you need deep, even strokes, don't you? Deep, even strokes. If, if, if you paddle just on one side, what happens, all you kayakers? If we're just paddling here, what's gonna happen? We're just gonna go in circles. We're gonna spend a lot of work not doing a whole lot of anything, right? If I do on the other side, same thing. Same thing, but in order to stay the course, we need deep, even strokes, both a right and a left to keep us going. And when we just are working, 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 where does it lead us? Nowhere. We just get exhausted, we're anxious. We work ourselves to death. If we don't do anything, if we're just all only resting, nothing gets accomplished. 
and yet our confident dependence as we press into the Lord, we work hard and we rest hard. We do the things that God has called us to do and we go to bed and we sleep at night. The way to stay on course is to keep the paddle strokes deep and even. And so what does confident dependence look like in these days? What does confident dependence of working hard and resting hard in the next season look like? Well, it really looks no different than any other season. It means that there's a willingness, a willingness to be useful to the Lord. It means that there's an eagerness to contribute our time, talent, and treasure to the things of God. It means that there is a readiness to adapt to changes from the way we are doing things to the way we are going to do things more excellently as we work out the kinks. It means that there's a quickness to give credit to the Lord and leave the results to him so that way we can sleep at night. Amen? See, we work hard and we rest hard knowing that it is the Lord who needs to and will come through. And so we've been talking about uh, in regards to building the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the physical structure. But what about the people? How do we build into people into this next season? How do we, how do we proceed uh, in the great commission, depending upon the Lord as we pour into one another? Well, here's our second point. Confident dependence on the Lord inspires us to multiply joyfully and disciple purposefully. To multiply joyfully and disciple purposely from verses three and five. And again, these, like, these verses almost seem disconnected, don't they? Like from verse two to verse three, you're like reading it and you're like, wait a minute, he's talking about building houses and then he's talking about eating and then sleeping and then he goes to uh, children and a lot of children. Like those two things don't go together, right? Every parent knows like sleep and kids, nah, <laughs> right? And every deprived, sleep deprived parent in the house said amen, right? That's right. But no, they do. He's talking, when we understand the two senses, we begin to see what he is talking about. When we see uh, the two senses of the house, things become clearer. It's not just about the building, but it's also, and maybe more importantly, even about the people. And so when we get to verse three, we have this great word. This is one of the stop signs of the Bible, right? Behold. Behold, to behold means to stop and linger here. Don't proceed on until you understand what is being talked about. And so we are to behold this gold mine, really, of biblical parenting. These verses before us are a gold mine of biblical parenting. And really, as such, it, it, shapes, it should shape our, our personal parenting, but also our the way we do kids ministry here as a church and even gives us principles, I would say, for for ministry of how we disciple and how we uh, minister to one another as a church family. And so as we go, we'll kind of look at it from both of those angles here. See, the the same way that building a house isn't just a one-man job, neither is a family a one-man show. The same way that sleep is a gift, so are children. And notice what he calls them in verses three and also in five. He says that the children are heritage. They are a reward. They are a blessing. And before we go on, I want, I want to just say this. Don't misunderstand what Solomon is saying here. He's not saying that if you have no kids or just a few kids that you are not blessed. 
that God is somehow punishing you or withholding blessing uh, from you. But what he is saying is that God builds the house. You could even say that unless the Lord gives you children, those who try, try in vain. It is the Lord who builds the family, and we can have all the dreams and plans and things that we want, but at the end of the day, it is God who gives to us these gifts. And so whatever kids we have, whatever kids we have are a blessing from the Lord, are they not? Some of you are like, maybe not this morning, right? <laughs> or maybe not. But they are, and it requires a confident dependence upon the Lord to raise them. I also don't want us to think that the scope of this, that the scope of this message here, these verses, is limited to the man and woman who procreated those children. Redemption, church, our kids are a collective heritage, a reward, a blessing. They're not a headache, a nuisance, or burdensome, but they are our heritage, our reward, our blessing to pour into, to disciple, and to send out. The fact that we have, maybe you don't know this, but we have 25% of our membership is involved in kids' ministry in some form or fashion, but it is really uh, 100% of our responsibility to be multiplying joyfully and discipling them purposefully. And it is with joy that, we pour, that, we, that children are brought into a family and it is with joy that we bring new people into our church family and it's with purpose that we pour into them. Amen? Amen, amen. And so we don't have kids, right? We don't have kids just so our last name continues on, right? We don't just try for sons or whatever so that way the Cushman lineage will carry on. In the same way, we don't just want a church to grow to multiply just so we can have more people in the seats. No, we want to grow and multiply so we can disciple. And we want to disciple so we can grow. They go together. We want to multiply joyfully. They are a blessing. But they are not just a blessing to hold and keep nice. Look at what verse 4 says. It says that children are like arrows. Arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. And so that's, you're probably wondering, well, now, now it makes sense why I have these. Interestingly enough, these are my, another hobby I have is bow hunting, and they actually say warrior on them, which is like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Ironic, but I don't normally feel like a warrior when I'm in the woods with it. Maybe I should. Maybe that would increase my success if I had a warrior mentality. But arrows in a quiver, this is a quiver in case you're wondering, it's like a little pouch that holds your arrows. Sometimes you have it on your bow, sometimes on your back. This one's just like my practice one. I didn't bring any like dangerous weapons into school today. But these arrows just sitting here in this uh, quiver, they're kind of useless, aren't they? But when does an arrow become effective? when it's notched to a bow and it's sent out into target to do what it was designed to do. And so what we are given here in this, in this text is a, a purpose to our parenting. Our, our, uh, our job is not to just keep our children in a quiver, useless, close to home, but we are to send them out. We are to pour in in order to uh, let them fly uh, for gospel purposes. You might be familiar with Jim Elliott. Anybody know who he was? 
He was a missionary from the uh, mid 20th century. He inspired many when he and four of his friends, uh, they were martyred in the jungles of Ecuador back in 1956, and they were trying to take the gospel to the Aka people. And he was a young man in his early 20s, and uh, you can imagine that his parents did not want him to go. They didn't want him to go. He was a man with many gifts, a, a very bright man, and they thought they were, that he would be more useful if he would stay stateside, and even he could uh, uh, encourage and inspire others to go. And he wrote a pretty profound letter to his parents, and I want to just read a portion of it uh, to see this mentality. Jim Elliott got this verse, and he was encouraging his parents to as well. It's on the screen. You can follow along as I read it. This is Jim writing to his parents. He says, I do not wonder that you are saddened at the word of my going to South America. Grieve not then if your son seems to desert you, but rejoice rather seeing the will of God done gladly. Remember how the psalmist described children? He said that they were as an heritage from the Lord and that every man should be happy who had his quiver full of them. And what is a quiver full of but arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So, parents, with the strong arm of prayer, draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them straight at the enemy's host. Oh, for more parenting like this. God, would you make redemption a place where arrows are raised up and sent out? Both both our children and new believers, God, that we would be a place of discipleship. That we would be a place of multiplication. God, make this place, make redemption in the days ahead, both an arrow factory and an archery range. That we wouldn't just be isolated and ingrown, but that we would be raising up and pouring into our kids, teaching them your ways giving them gospel priorities, teaching them to not uh, value the things of this world, but that they would have an unless the Lord life. And they would be launched, whether it be to the jungles of Ecuador or down the street or wherever it might be, God. But give us this vision as a church, please, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We see the offensive purposes to our discipleship, right? We, we let those arrows fly. We send out uh, into the world. We equip our kids to live as believers. Parents, let me just ask you, how, uh, how purposeful are you in your equipping your kids just every day? Do you equip your kids as you send them out to school in the morning? Are you, do you have a kind of a long-term vision of raising them up and, and get them grown and get them going kind of thing? Not just so they're out of your house, but so that they are warriors for the Lord in a non-violent, non, you know, kind of aggressive way. You get what I'm saying. Church, how are we at, at raising up new believers? How purposeful are we in pouring into and investing in one another in, in our church here, in our small groups, sending them out as they uh, head into the workplace, as we live for the glory of God? Are we sending out with prayer and the encouragement of the scripture with the confident dependence that unless the Lord comes through? Or are we with anxious toil or with lazy 
apathy. I pray that we are a purposeful place. But notice how it doesn't just stop here. The purpose in our discipleship is offensive, but it is also defensive. Don't miss these, this last little uh, portion here in verse five. Do you see this here? You see it in then verse five? Maybe it's a little bit odd. And he, he's kind of bouncing back and forth here, but here at the very end, he says, he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So what's, what's he talking about here? Well, in those days, the city gate was where disputes were settled. You'd go out to the gate. If you had an, uh, an offense against somebody or something happened, you would go there, and then that's where witnesses would come, and, and you would defend your case, and, and, uh, and then the truth would be discerned there amongst those that were gathered, the men of the city, the elders of the city there. And so whether you're in war or whether you are in court, the more defenders you have, the better, right? The more defenders you have, the better. And so the more arrows you shoot in the battle, the better. The more character witnesses to defend your actions in a court case, the better, right? So he likens here the more kids we have, if we are living an upright, godly life, as we are living a, the confident, dependent life, if we are living the unless the Lord life, and our kids see that as we are living it out in the home and wherever we go, that they would defend us. Or would they? But our kids tell that story. And so multiplication, discipleship, they go together like these paddle strokes too, right? Solomon kind of gets this. You see how uh, verses three, four, and five kind of go back and forth like that? Like he starts with this, the joy of, of multiplication, the joy of having more kids, the fruit of the womb, this gift that God has given us, and then he gives us the purpose of discipleship, and then he talks about how it's a blessing and a quiverful, and then he goes back to, and so he is bouncing back and forth these deep, even paddle strokes in order to stay the course, not just as we build and work hard and rest hard, but as we pour into, what do we need? Deep, even strokes. If we just continue to multiply, then we become a crowd going in circles. And if we're just only focusing in on discipleship and, and internal things, then we just become isolated and ingrown like stagnant water. And so, church, so, beloved, we need the deep, even strokes of growing and multiplying joyfully and intentionally, purposely discipling one another for the glory of God. This is a confident dependence. And so what does it look like in the days ahead? How do we, how do we live these things out as a church with one another? Well, it means reaching out means exercising your invitational muscle. It means asking the question, who needs to be here? Who can I invite? Who needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ? The second means uh, extending hospitality. Who can I uh, get to know? Who can I uh, bring into and invest in my life? It looks exactly like that. Intentional investment of discipling, of how can I do spiritual good to even just one person? how can I do good and it looks like joy in Christ all the way? We should be in constant awe. That unless the Lord life looks like constant awe that we are saved and sent, just like that song says. Isn't it amazing that God not only saves us, but then lets us be about his work? No matter who we are, not just as, as like a paid preacher, but that he would let any of us be part of the work. This is amazing. 
This is, this, this is joy-inducing as we uh, fix our eyes on Christ. And then he says, come and be part of my work. See, redemption, our best days are yet ahead. Our best days are yet ahead, and we believe that with confident dependence. We believe that unless the Lord comes through, we are through, and because the Lord will come through, we will too. And so unless the Lord is our anthem, it's our theme, as we move, as we expand, as we work and rest and multiply and disciple, we do so with gospel focus, with mission clarity, with vertical urgency for the glory of God. And we won't be deterred because the Lord goes before us. Amen? Because the Lord goes before us. And so what I want us to do here as we close is I just want to take a few moments and I want us to uh, spend some time praying together. Can we do that? See, God is coming through. The Unless the Lord, uh, life is a life built on prayer. It is a life that is confident and dependent, and we express that to the Lord through prayer. And so as, as we just respond to this, we're gonna yes sing a, a little bit more, but I want, us to, I want us to now just take a moment. You can uh, just gather with the people maybe that you came with. You can grab their hand uh, as you pray, and um, I'm just gonna give us a few prayer prompts uh, for us to pray. And so let's begin our prayers now with just some prayers of thanksgiving. Can we do that? Let's tell the Lord, thank you, for working on my behalf. Go ahead and just take a minute to pray.